If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn with me again to the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. As a matter of fact, that piece of paper that you've got right there is going to be a portion of Scripture that we're going to read from. I read it last Wednesday night. I go back to it again tonight. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse 10 through verse 18. What I gave you is the amplified rendering of this portion of Scripture. And I thought it would be good for us to read it. And so we're going to read it together. Everybody's got the same paper. Everybody's got the same words. Now, just remind you, when there's a comma, that means pause. Don't keep reading. Pause. Wait a moment. Let us all catch up. Let's read it together in unison. While you're getting ready for that, I read the story of uh, two Germans who had wanted to climb the Matterhorn, the mountain that uh, has inspired many a climber. And so they hired three guides and they began their ascent at the steepest and the most slippery part of the Matterhorn. The men roped themselves together in this order. Guide, traveler, guide, traveler, guide. They had gone only a little way up the side when the last man lost his footing and he slipped. He was held up temporarily by the other four because each one had a toehold in a niche that they had cut in the ice. But then the next man slipped and pulled down the two above him. The only thing that saved them, the only thing that kept all of them from plummeting to their death, was the fact that the first man, the first guide, had driven a spike into the ice and tied his rope off to that spot. Because he held his ground, he saved others. I wonder how many people could be saved in this hour if people would just take a stand. There's a lot of slipping going on. That doesn't mean we have to be part of it. Amen. We ought to stand. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number 10, let's read it together in unison. Paul said, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him. That strength which His boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor. The armor of a heavy armed soldier which God supplies that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. 
For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotism, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, and having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God, and having shod your feet with preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace, lift up over all covering shield of saving faith, upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword that the Spirit wields, which is the word of God. Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong pers- pers- and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. And everybody said, Amen. Then the book of Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse number 1. Paul said, Would to God you would hear, bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And everybody said, Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says that we are not ignorant of his devices. I want to talk to you again tonight from the subject, arm yourself. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We are involved in a war tonight and we fight a ruthless enemy. Paul labels these forces as principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Folks, when I read that, I have just read a very formidable assortment of things 
that I am going to deal with in this world. Not only are we in a war, but we are in a dirty war. Amen. A dirty war. Because the devil is a dirty fighter. Everybody say he's a dirty fighter. The devil is dirty because he is deceptive. He is dirty because he is deceptive. If he would just come straight out against you and I, most of us would never have a problem dealing with the devil. But very seldom does he ever come full face. But the devil prefers the aliases of an angel of light. And so he comes in his cunning way. Do we think that we can face such an enemy with anything less than what God has commanded us to have? And that is the whole armor of God. Last week, I tried to introduce you to the Corinthian church and a fear that Paul had concerning those early believers. Paul, in writing the books of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, was on a pursuit. He was trying to help set right the church that was in Corinth, a church that had stumbled and fallen a church that had embraced immorality and allowed it openly within its ranks. And so Paul writes these letters to put them back on their spiritual feet and to help them get their spiritual moorings. And he reminds them of how the enemy operates. He reminds them of the devices. The word devices in the Greek means schemes or plans, like a military strategy. Paul said, Corinthians, you must understand who you are up against. You are up against a trickery. You're up against all kinds of cunning deceit. And so he deals with the Corinthian church that had a taste and a tolerance for other things. They were liberals. They were open-minded people. They embraced another Jesus. They embraced freely another gospel. When men came teaching another spirit, Paul said, you willingly embrace that. You openly embrace those things. You were enthusiastic in your acknowledgement of these false teachings and he said I am fearful of you that there's something happening that you're not even aware of and so Paul reminds them of something very important he reminds them to whom they were espoused they were engaged at the terminology Paul speaks to them as what the Bible refers to as a friend of the bridegroom. In, in uh, Hebrew uh, history, the friend of the bridegroom were two. There, there was actually 
one that represented the bride and there was one who represented the bridegroom. And they were the go-between between the bride and the bridegroom. And they would send out the invitations and they would take care of the necessary things needed for that upcoming nuptials. But the main thing that the friend of the bridegroom was responsible for was making sure that the bride stayed pure and clean so that on that wedding day he could present to that bridegroom a chaste virgin. Paul said, I want to tell you that as a preacher, as a minister, that's what I'm trying to do to you. And that's what this preacher is trying to do to this congregation. I want to be able to stand before God with joy and say, God, I did the best that I knew how. And they received that word. They loved that word. They lived that word. I do not want to have to stand before God and have to give a sorrowful account because I preached it, but they were unwilling to live it. And so Paul is stirred here in remembrance of what is going on. And he is reminded that unfaithfulness is a peril. Unfaithfulness is a spiritual danger that all of us can be guilty of if we're not careful. A divided heart is a heart that will lead to a defiled life. A divided heart. And an unfaithful spirit will destroy a relationship. Amen. It will destroy a relationship. The only way you can build a true relationship is there to be a a faithfulness between the two parties. And to destroy that is to destroy the relationship. And so Paul spoke of a fear, a legitimate fear. They were moving from things that he had taught them. And Paul was fearful that those he had labored with so diligently were being led astray as Satan beguiled Eve through his subtlety. I want to remind you tonight, again, as I did last Wednesday night, that Satan will target the very best among us. None of us in this building, I don't care If you've been living for God since Shep was a pup, I don't care if you know how to talk in tongues in a thousand languages, you are still a target of the enemy. And the morning you wake up and think that you don't have anything to worry about is the morning that he has you right where he wants you. That's why Paul continually reminded the church, be on guard, be alert, stay awake. And so it is in this hour. Tonight, I'm going to come back again and try to teach you. I want to go a little further than we went last week. And I'm going to try to stir up your pure minds. As Peter, writing in his second book, said, that this is my second letter to you, dear brothers. And in both of them, I have tried to remind you, if you will let me, about the the facts that you already know, facts that you have learned from the holy prophets and from the apostles who brought you the word of the Lord and Savior. And so I come tonight 
I want to remind you of what you already know. And lest it should bore you, I'm going to drive it in and bend it over. Because we all need to hear what I am going to say tonight. Not because I'm saying it, but because the Word of God is saying it. I want to remind you that we are dealing with a cunning, crafty, deceitful, accommodating, flexible, clever, dexterous, artful foe. And he will never come to you in his true colors. He will always come to you in a fashion that will be attractive to you personally. Amen. I want to speak to you of what we will need to survive this hour of deception. And not just survive, but thrive. And what I am here to do tonight is not playful. Last week I spoke to you about two things. Number one, I spoke to you about the tactics of the enemy. That he will use any means possible to get your attention and cause you to stumble. Cunning, artful, versatile. He has a a, a myriad of ways of accomplishing his purpose. Whatever he can do, he will work on your prejudices. He will work on your personal uh, desires or your personal appetites. Whatever he can do, he will use that against you. Everybody say tactics. The second thing I talked to you about was the target, and that's your mind. He's going to come against your mind. He's going to come against my mind. If he can mess up your thinking, he's got you going down a road where he will get you at some point. Because if he can mess up your thinking, he can mess up your faith. If he mess up your thinking, he can mess up what's in your heart. If he can get into your mind and get you to thinking down roads that you don't need to go down or in ways that you don't need to think, then you will be fodder for him to feed upon. Tonight, my goal is to focus on his goal. I want to talk to you for a little while about the goal of his attack, what he's really after in our lives. When he comes against us and when he works to deceive us, what is his ultimate goal? The goal of Satan, according to what Paul said, is the simplicity that is in Christ. Now before you write me off, you better hear me out. To move me from the simplicity that is in Christ is what his goal is. Not the simplicity of Christ, though there are some who interpret it that way. Christ was not simple. He was one of the deepest, most profound figures of all times. Not only was he God in flesh, he was still man of man. And so Christ was not simple. What is simple must be my relationship with him. And what is simple must be the way that I respond to him. So when Paul is talking about the simplicity that is toward Christ, he is talking about my attitude toward him. Amen. My attitude toward him. The way that I relate to him. The way that I receive him. The way that I respond to him. The way that I serve him. The way that I live for him, that 
quality of my life that relates to him, my attitude toward him. And Paul said that attitude needs to be that of simplicity. Everybody say simplicity. The simplicity that is in Christ stands contrasted to the duplicity that is in Satan. In the first temptation, listen to me, God's word was abundantly clear. You can have all of this freely, but thou shalt not eat of this tree. And when Satan came against Eve, he didn't use one argument. He used many arguments. So you have the simplicity of God's word and God's command. And you have the duplicity in which Satan works. And you hear me tonight. Anytime, anytime there is a sure sign of the working of the enemy It is when there is the presence of many reasons for what a single good answer could do. Amen. What's so hard about thou shalt not? What's so hard about thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy... What is so complicated about that? Amen. So let's talk about the word that Paul employs to express his thought. Simplicity. It means a lot of things. Pure, unmixed, undivided, uh, single-hearted loyalty and devotion, wholeheartedness, completeness, sincerity. But the chief idea of the word that Paul uses for simplicity literally means without fold. Without fold. Now I want you to take this piece of paper I gave you. This is an unfolded piece of paper. Unfolded, uncomplicated, all of it's going in the same direction. I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to Fold it in half just like that and crease it. And I want you to put Ephesians up at the top. Now you have the idea of what Paul is getting at when he talks about the simplicity that is in Christ. This is duplicity. This is not simplicity. This means that there's a fold and so you have some things going one way And underneath some things going another way. And Paul said that is the trick of the enemy to your soul and mine. Is to get my life going like this. Or like in in so many different directions. That I stay confused all the time. That I don't know what my true purpose is. Or I don't know what my true calling is. That I am folded. So when there is a fold. When there is a fold. The paper that is flat flows in one direction. It has one purpose. But when there's a fold. When there's a 
duplicity in my life, when I am not living by this simple rule in my life, all of a sudden I have competing interests. I have things going in two different directions. And all of a sudden life is a lot more complicated. So think about this. Things are no longer running in one direction when there is duplicity. When there's twofold, that just makes it even worse. Now I've got, pe- I've got things running in every direction. And then when I fold that again, as we so often do in life, now I've really got problems. I don't know sick them from come here, as Brother Eldon says. I don't know whether I'm washing or hanging out to dry. That is what Satan is after in your life and my life. He's not interested in you sitting on a bar stool right now. He's not interested in you snorting coke up your nose right now. He's not interested in you even committing adultery right now. All he's after is for you just to make a fold. To take what God said ought to be flowing in one direction and fold it. And now, I'm torn. Do you understand that if the devil can't make me bad, he'll make me busy? I'll take a Baptist nod for that one. (laughs) Or a Catholic Hail Mary. I don't know. Whatever. His goal, his goal, what he's after. Boy, if I, I wish that I had the ability to get into your mind and help you understand. If you could capture this one principle, it would make a world of difference in how all of us live the rest of our life. Amen. There is no underside to life. What Paul's talking about is a life where there's no underside. It's all here. It's all on this. It's all here. When you do this, there's things under here nobody knows about. They don't know if it's going in the right direction, and you don't even know if it's going. But I promise you, it's not going in the direction that God wants it to go. All things need to tend in the same direction. Here is a man who has no undercurrents in his life. No undercurrents. His life is without reservation or drawing back. As we sang, I'm going all the way. Amen. No turning back. No turning back. A man who is knit like the Lord's garment without seam. Isn't it amazing? That when they went to gamble for his garment, they could not separate it because it was seamless. It represented his life. That's why when the devil came and Jesus said this, the devil has come and he has found nothing in me. Nothing that he can identify with. Nothing that he can connect to. My life is an open book. My life 
is all going in the same direction. There's a flow to my life. Do you know what the devil wants to do in this hour? He wants to disrupt the flow of our life by adding this and putting that and burdening us and getting us to burden ourselves down with so many things that we don't even know what our true priorities are. That's what he's after. And he's being very successful. That's why a lot of people aren't at church tonight. It's not Wednesday night. It's not the times. It's because people have let life get so complicated and so burdened with so much stuff that they don't know their right their left hand. Paul said, I fear lest in the same way that Satan deceived Eve and he got her to take that plain commandment and fold it. And once it was folded, now he's got her where he wants her. All he had to do was get her to question, put a suggestion out there that maybe, maybe God didn't mean everything that he said. And when life gets folded, that's when we get in trouble. Amen. Everybody say amen. That's the devil's chief business is to get your life so folded and running in so many directions that you lose the most important thing. It is this simple element. Listen to me. It is this simple element that Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about that the devil hates the most. You know why the devil hates this simplicity? You know why the devil mocks the simplicity of the gospel or the simplicity of my faith? Because this kind of life blocks him from having access to my life. There's no underside from which he can work. There's no duplicity from which I have to wonder, is anybody going to find this out? And the reason... He hates such a focused life. The reason he fights so much to complicate and get us to complicate our lives is because when there is an open life that is lived by a simple rule and a simple principle, it blocks everything he wants to do to try to destroy your life and mine. Some of you don't believe that, but I'm going to prove it to you. When there is one love in your life, he hates it. When you so protect your heart from any other love interest so that your love is kept for one, it doesn't mean that you only love him, but you love everything through him. It doesn't mean that I can't love something else. It just simply means that everything I love has to pass through the filter of his love first. And when there is one love in my life, 
When there is one love, there is no possibility for seduction to take place. I'm not going to cheat on God. I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. If there's one love, that's why the devil fights your love and he tries to get it weak. That's why love in the world in which we live is made a mockery. It is such a mockery the way our world treats love and talks about love because the great, listen to me, the great seduction of the devil is the lie that you can have more than one lover. As one man told me one time, just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean I can't look at the menu. Speaking about his adulterous eyes. One love will put a stop to the enemy in his tracks. When you work on that one love, when all my actions are governed by this one love, when all my desires are governed by this one love, when everything I do is considered in the light of this one love, the devil does not have an opportunity. He doesn't have a chance of getting into my heart. Amen. One love. Everybody say one love. He hates it. He hates a life that has one love. And he will fight, he will war, he will trick, he will connive, he will get you to thinking that it's all right to have more than one love in life. You need to live a little. Yeah, you need to live a little. Amen. The second thing is when you accept one authority, he hates that. One authority. When you live by one rule, and that's his rule, and everything in your life is governed by that one rule, the devil hates that. Because he likes situational ethics. He likes you doing what's right in your own eyes. Because that creates nothing but chaos. What would happen? I'm asking you this. But what would have happened tonight on the way home when everybody in Houston just decided to thumb their nose at the laws of the land and say, you know what? Red don't mean red to me anymore. Stop doesn't mean stop to me anymore. Do you understand the chaos that would come into our city if people disregarded that? So we observe that law. What's so bad about observing this law? Because this law is the law of life. And this law is going to produce in me what stopping at a stop sign may not produce in me. But this law will. When I look into this perfect law of liberty, it sets me free. What he says and all that he says and nothing else but what he says should always be my creed. Number two, number three, when there is one faith. One faith that leads me. One faith. I look to Him alone. He is my source of light, my source of revelation, my source of salvation, my source of strength, my source of peace, my source of hope, my source of a future. When I look to Him, the devil hates anybody 
that has one faith. My faith is not in the United States of America as much as I love this United States. And it's certainly not in the Democrats nor in the Republicans. And by the way, folks, I understand that we have a diversity of people in this church. We're not Republicans or Democrats when we come in here. We're not donkeys or elephants. We're lambs. We're children of the lamb. And we might spout off and I spout off and you say things, but just remember, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be saved because you're a Republican and you're not going to be damned because you're a Democrat. What you are going to be losing on is when you forget that there's one faith that needs to govern your life and everything you do. I'm not putting my stock in gold. I'm not putting it in the market. I'm not putting it in the economy. I'm not putting it in oil. I don't care how many thousands of barrels they tell me are underneath us right now. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not going to make it because I have a big portfolio. I'm not going to get through these times because I have a good retirement package. I'm going to get through these times because I have faith God's going to keep me. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you right now that in the depression, some of the richest, eight of the richest men of that day committed suicide. So you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have a faith that keeps you anchored, one faith, the devil hates people that have one faith. They have one Lord. They have one faith. They have one baptism. He hates that because there's no room for him. When there's only one thing that is the concern of my life, and that's what Paul's trying to tell these Corinthians. I can tell you how to simplify. I can tell you how to be an overcomer. I can tell you how to beat the devil down in his own tricks, and that is get your mind and your heart back on one thing, And that one thing is that you are a spouse to the Lord. That's all you need to live for. Live for Him. Amen. When there is one absolute obedience to Him and His Word, the devil hates that. When there is absolute and simple obedience to His command, when His command becomes my law, the devil hates that because there's no room. The devil hates people who have one love, one hope, one faith, one assurance. He's trying to get you to do what everybody he's done in the past. He's trying to get you to fold life. Not just one time, but many times. So that life becomes so complicated that when you come to church, your mind is so clouded, your thoughts are so overwhelmed, you don't even know where to begin. You don't even know what. You don't get one thing out of church because your mind is so cluttered with all this. All you need to do is just unfold that sheet of your life and say, God, I need to help. I need you to help me get my life flowing in that one direction. I need you to get my thoughts and my spirit and my heart and my desire flowing in that one way. Amen. He hates people that have a single point of reference in their life to which they will not deviate. Amen. Praise God. Hey, the, the news media hates people like that. I don't think you've, I don't know if you've noticed that lately, but they hate people that have one point of reference in their life. 
He fights it. He wars against it. And if he can get you to add something to it, he will do his best to get you to do that. They, the Corinthian church, embraced another Jesus. They embraced another gospel other than what Paul... They embraced another spirit. Amen. The devil's business is to complicate life, to move you from the simplicity of life, the unfolded life, to a complicated, competing interest, pulling here and there, so many demands... He can't make you bad. He'll do his best to try to keep you busy. Here's the attitude of mind and heart that makes an overcomer and makes for overcoming. When there is one controlling principle that governs your life, I want to please him. I want to love him. I want to serve him. And when I do that, It makes all the rest of life find its proper place. Listen to me. Whenever a problem arises in your life and you have one standard to refer to for decision, that simplifies life. You don't have to say, well, I I need to check my horoscope. I, I need to check what Dear Abby has to say today. I need to check what the stock market says today. I need to check what this person or that person or the other. I need to call somebody down the street and get some advice. No, you just need to get back in the book. Get back on your knees. Fall in love with him all over again. A love that's so consuming that you don't have to worry about cheating on him because the love for him is too great to even consider that. Whenever any anxiety threatens you, when you have one unfailing refuge, how can the devil defeat a person like that? Instead of getting on the phone or running to Facebook and spreading all that, why don't you get on your knees and go to him about it? Oh, I know I'm not preaching to any of y'all tonight. Everybody I need to be preaching to ain't here, but you're the only one I can tell this to tonight. So what I need you to do is go home and put it on Facebook. Uh-huh. Tell them what Brother Hughes said. Amen. Whenever rival claims grow loud, when you have one commander-in-chief and you can hear his voice, It doesn't matter how loud the noise. He says, all the way. All the way. He says, stand. Stand with your loins girt about. And when you stand through this situation, keep standing. Don't fall down and pass out. Just keep standing. Somebody's got to drive a spike in. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to drive a spike because there's a lot of slippery places in this world right now. And there's a lot of folks that are slipping. Slipping in their devotion. I'm I'm telling you, church, I'm not beating there. There are things that keep people out of church now that a few years ago would never have kept them out of church. And now, you can call it a job, you can call it whatever, but there were a time in our life when we set aside that's church time, I don't care work or not, I'm coming to church. I don't care if, some, if the family comes in, I'm coming to church. 
You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you don't have to believe that. But that's what Paul was talking about is a simple relationship that governs everything that you do in your life. Amen. Whatever it is that I say tonight, I pray that you would let it lodge in your heart. Here is what each of us needs for the battle of life, a heart that has come to rest in him. Let me tell you how to live. You want to know how to live? You want to know how to live the best life? Live simple. Live simple. Somebody said, Brother Hughes, living for God is so hard. Living for God is not hard. It's simple. One love, one Lord, one faith, one obedience, one baptism. What's so hard about love not the world, neither the things that are in the world? For if the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father cannot be in you. What's so hard about that? What's so hard about you can have everything in this garden, but you cannot have that one? What's so hard about enjoying everything that we do have instead of sitting there going to seed on what we can't do? You know, I don't live for God by that rule. I, I, don't, I don't live for God by what I can't do. I get up every morning rejoicing over what I can do. I can live free today. I can live, I'm not bound by drugs. I'm not bound by alcohol. I'm not bound by some lie that I had to tell to keep a secret from my spouse or from somebody. I'm not bound by some unworthy deed that I did toward. I'm free. I can get up in the morning. I can look in the mirror and say, you know what? This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day God made just for me. What is so hard about this one? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Glorify God in your body. And in your spirit, which are God's. Now that verse right there does away with this erroneous teaching that it doesn't matter what's on the outside, only what's on the inside. I've been tempted to do this, but my wife threatened me within an inch of my life to be careful about what I do up here. So I'm going to be careful. But I have been tempted to take me a steak and cook it medium I, I, one of those Kobe beef steaks, one of those thirty-something dollar a pound steaks. Cook it medium, and just coat it with all kinds of poo-poo and all that other stuff I could scrape up, and say, now, if you believe that theology that it only matters what's on the inside, then I start eating. None of us believe that. It does matter what's on the outside. And so Jesus, through his command, 
And Paul, through writing his command, speaks to us of making sure that we glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Greater Life Church, let's keep it simple. You know the KISS philosophy? Anybody know what that is? Keep it simple, saints? Some of you thought I was going to use that other word. Simple. Keep it simple, saints. Here's how you do it. This is all you have to do. This is how uncomplicated living for God is. Will this please Him? If not, don't do it. (laughs) Will this honor Him? If not, don't participate. Will this entangle me? If so, avoid. If so, stay away. Will this lessen my spiritual fervor or my spiritual desire? If so, run away from it. Pretty plain. Pretty simple. Paul said, I fear lest you be beguiled like Eve through the subtlety of Satan to move you, your mind, away from the simplicity of 